when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black and now your host evan Grote. let's go raider nation and welcome back to another episode of just pod baby the week seven recap with your host evan Grote. the raiders held tough for three quarters but were absolutely shellacked in the fourth quarter of the game yesterday they were outscored 21 to nothing in the final 12:43 of the game. The final score ended at 45 to 20. The Buccaneers were victorious. Uh, it was very difficult to watch at times. To be perfectly honest with you, we'll we'll get into all of that uh, in tonight's episode. Just Pod Baby is brought to you by Silver and Black today. Make sure you're going over to the website. We are keeping you informed with all the latest information and news. As always, great opinions and analysis from the editorial team over at SilverandBlackToday.com. Later in the show, I'll be joined by guest Jesse Merrick, who covers the Raiders for KSNV News 3 in Las Vegas. He'll chat with us, and we're going to get his some of his thoughts on the game yesterday, and uh, you know, we're going to take a look at the, the uh, schedule uh, going forward. Uh, I do regret to inform you that uh, the other half of the East Coast Division of Silver and Black today, who joins me as my co-host on these Monday Night Recap episodes, will not be with us tonight. Uh, Mo and I are having some technical difficulties. We can't seem to get it straightened out. Uh, we worked on it for about 20, 25 minutes here, but uh, it's getting a little late here on the East Coast, so... Um, we we had to get uh, we had to move on. So the sh- the show will go on tonight without Mo. Um, uh, you know I, I, the plan. I didn't have I really didn't have time to to rework the plan to be honest with you. So what I'm going to do for you tonight is I'm going to give you the recap as I always do. Uh, but you will not have Mo's commentary to go along with it. So I'm going to try to get you a good recap of, of the game nonetheless. I'll give you some of my thoughts and then we'll bring Jesse in uh, and, and we'll have our our guest as we always do. Okay. So that's the plan. Uh, and l- let's get right into it. it. It's recap time. So here we go. The Raiders drew first blood on their opening possession of the game when Derek Carr hooked up with Nelson Aguilar for a 21-yard touchdown. The play capped off a six-play, 70-yard drive. Aguilar did catch two passes on the drive for 49 yards, and Aguilar continues to be a bright spot for this team, finishing uh, the game with five catches for a team-high 170 yards. Tom Brady and the Bucks, though, would take over, trailing 7 to nothing. After a 3-and-out on their opening possession, Brady went back to his old buddy on 3rd and 5, finding Rob Gronkowski for a big gain of 28 yards, and then gains by Ronald Jones of 13, 8, and 9, throwing a 12-yard catch by Tanner Hudson and an 8-yard reception for Leonard Fournette, and the Bucks were knocking on the door from the Raiders' 1-yard line. Tom Brady would take it in, as he has so many times throughout his career with the quarterback sneak up the middle to tie the game up at 7. John Gruden and Rich Passaccia went into their bag of tricks, calling a fake punt on 4th and 1 from their own 35-yard line early in the game. Jeff Heath took the snap and and got just enough for the first down to extend the drive. Three plays later, Carr found speedster Henry Ruggs for a gain of 29 yards to the Tampa Bay 30-yard line. But a false start by Sam Young and then an incomplete pass on 3rd and 4, and Daniel Carlson would come out to attempt the 42-yard field goal. The Raiders now led 10-7 early in the second quarter. Um, I, I liked what I saw from Gruden making the aggressive uh, play call to to 
used go with the fake punt on fourth down, and I and I hope we see more of that from him going forward. After both teams traded punts, the Bucks took over, still trailing 10-7 with 8.53 to play in the first half. Leonard Fournette took a handoff from the Tampa Bay 43-yard line and rumbled 24 yards down to the Raiders 33, and again, it was Brady to Gronk connecting for 26 yards to the Las Vegas 4-yard line. After a 1-yard loss on first and goal, Brady went back to the well, finding Gronk for the 5-yard touchdown. The Bucks would go ahead with a 14-10 lead. It was the 92nd time the combination of Brady and Gronkowski have connected for a touchdown. That is third most on the all-time list. Uh, that that Those guys, just they're like a fine wine. They just continue to get better with age. Another five plays and out for the Raiders offense, and the Bucks would get the ball back with 2-12 remaining in the half, starting on their own 12-yard line. Brady would dink it and dunk down, excuse me, dink and dunk the ball down the field. Gains of 16 to Chris Godwin, 11 yards to Scotty Miller, 7 yards to Fournette. The Bucks did convert a fourth and three to Chris Godwin for eight more yards. And on second and 10 from the Las Vegas 33 yard line, Brady found Scotty Miller for a touchdown. Scotty, who you may be asking yourself? Yeah, he really torched the Raiders. He was the, the Bucks' leading receiver yesterday, went over 100 yards with six catches. It was a dime by Brady, and it was Nevin Lawson who was in coverage and allowed the touchdown. It was a rough day at the office for uh, Nevin Lawson. We'll get into more of his troubles in just a moment. The Raiders would go into the half trailing 21-10 and would receive the ball to start the second half, but after moving the ball to midfield from their own 25-yard line, A.J. Cole would have to come out and punt for the third time in the game. Brady and the Bucks marched 70 yards all the way down to the Vegas 10-yard line, but the defense was able to hold them to only a field goal. Ryan Suckup converted a 29-yard attempt to give Tampa Bay a two-touchdown lead at 24-10 with just 8-16 remaining in the third quarter. Needing to respond in a big way, Derek Carr was able to lead his troops on a much-needed scoring drive. The Raiders were aided by two penalties on the Bucks. The first on a third and seven, which negated a Derek Carr interception. And again, in the following play, a third and two, Sean Murphy Bunting was flagged for defensive holding, giving the Raiders an automatic first down. On the following play, Derek Carr went deep down the left side again to Nelson Aguilar, who hauled in the catch for 44 yards down to the Tampa Bay four-yard line. Jamel Dean, the youngster for the Bucks, was in coverage. Again, the, the big play ability was on display for Nelson Aguilar, and he just continues to be a bright spot for this team. And uh, it looks as if he he you know will continue to be the, the best free agent signing that the, the Raiders have made uh, this year. On the second play from the goal, Carr found Darren Waller in a mismatch with Levante David Davis, uh, the linebacker. Here. Waller ran a slant route for the touchdown to cut the Bucks' lead to 24-17. There were some extracurricular activities after the play involving Gabe Jackson uh, that led to him being uh, disqualified from the game. I didn't see much on the replay. I wasn't quite sure what happened until today where uh, the NFL made a statement that uh, apparently Gabe Jackson kicked a player while he was down or kind of put his knee into the player. Uh, it didn't seem like anything that warranted an ejection, in my opinion, but uh, maybe the NFL has some some footage that, that we don't see. Either way, it, it really affected the Raiders' uh, offensive line play, and it was a factor in the game. Keep in mind, the offensive line was already without Sam Young, who left earlier in the game. 
He was replaced by Brandon Parker. You now had Parker out there with Denzel Good and rookie John Simpson to go along with Hudson and Miller. Not exactly the, the, the most stable offensive line out there. At 24-17, the defense forced a much-needed punt with a quick three and out to get, to get it back to the offense. When faced with a critical fourth and one, though, from the Tampa Bay 17 with 12.43 to play in the game, Gruden set out the field goal team. Daniel Carlson did connect from 36 yards out to make the score 24-20. Some would have liked to see Gruden go for it in that situation. He was aggressive early in the game, chooses to take the points here. Here's what he had to say about the play after the game. Yeah, so excuse me, it was a long one. We had it more like two. And it was a 24-20 game at that time with the field goal. And we felt uh, at home, little momentum. Uh, we could hold Tampa to at least a field goal uh, or possibly get off the field. We had them third and 12. Uh, unfortunately, we had them right where we wanted them. And they converted on a check down. Very disappointed, but uh, it's easy to second guess right now. But uh, in hindsight, I probably would have done the same thing. Now, this is when things began to unravel for the Raiders. You heard Gruden mention it in the audio. The defense had an opportunity to force a quick three and out. But on third and 13, Tom Brady checked it down over the middle to Leonard Fournette, who picked up yardage needed for the first down. It was an absolute backbreaker for the defense, in my opinion. And Gruden has mentioned it today as well. It was the turning point play of the game. It was the play of the game. Uh, it, it, it was the Raiders were not able to stop them on that drive, and it, and it played a major role in that game. Two plays later, again, it was a third and two. Trayvon Mullen was called for a PI, giving Tampa Bay the automatic first down. Later in the drive, the defense had another chance to hold the Bucks to a field goal, but could not. Again, it was Scotty Miller picked up 12 yards on third and four from the Las Vegas 16. On the ensuing play, Chris Godwin caught a four-yard touchdown from Brady to extend their lead to 11. 31-20 was the score with 7.22 to play in the game. Derek Carr on their next possession, the Raiders' next possession, was picked off by Antonio Winfield Jr. The ball was tipped off of the hands of Nelson Aguilar. You can't put it all on Derek Carr. The Buccaneers would take over, and on their first play of their next drive, Chris Godwin caught a 23-yard reception. Uh, Nevin Lawson was was spun around. He looked foolish on the play. It was a great route by uh, Godwin. That catch did set up a one-yard touchdown run by Ronald Jones to blow the game wide open. 38-20 with 6.40 to play. It was their second touchdown in only 42 seconds. The game was over at this point. To add a little bit of salt to the wound, the Bucks would tack on another score, a fourth touchdown pass of the game for Brady, and that was all she wrote for the Raiders. 45-20 uh, loss to the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Raiders are now 3-3 and head to Cleveland next week to face the Browns. Uh, It was a monumental collapse in the final 12 minutes of the game. I don't really think the... The final score was was truly indicative of the of the entire game. I think the game, obviously, if you watched it, was was played a little bit more competitive throughout. Uh, I know that most of you probably heard what Gruden had to say after the game. He talked a lot about the injuries, the distractions they had throughout the week. I'm generally not a big believer in moral victories, uh, but there's a couple different ways you could look at this game. Uh, you can consider the fact that it was a four-point game with just under 13 minutes to play in the fourth quarter. Uh, you have to consider that a moral victory, but at the same time, uh, to play so poorly in the 
in the fourth quarter of the game. Defense was was terrible once again. Uh, you know, again, it all depends on how you want to look at it. I want to go back to uh, Gruden's presser for just a moment. And, and um, you know, to me, from what he said yesterday after the game and what I've been hearing for the last couple of weeks now, sounds like I'm hearing a lot of excuses. Now, you may disagree with me. Uh, that's just my opinion. Personally, I'm getting to the point where I'm tired of hearing about the injuries. Every team in the NFL deals with injuries. It's part of the game. Maybe there's more happening to the Raiders this year. You know, I I don't know compared to other teams. I don't look at that information, but it is part of the game, and I know that it has an effect on how the team plays. Don't get me wrong; not having Trent Brown out there is a major factor. I'm not downplaying that, but when you look at the situation in particular that led to the Raiders' offensive line being placed on the COVID list last week and not being able to practice, you know, John Abrams not being available this week. That was self-inflicted, okay? One of your own guys brought that situation on the team. Trent Brown was careless. Reports are that he was not wearing his his tracer device, and that probably contributed to him getting COVID. Uh, and then because his teammates were you know, in close quarters with him, they were forced to uh, be put on the list, quarantine, and not practice in uh, John Abrams was not uh, available to play. So so to me, what I want to hear Gruden talking about, rather than talking about the strange week of practice due to the uh, players not being available and all the injuries, maybe hold your players accountable, right? L- let's hear you talk about, uh, you know, Trent Brown and why he needs to be more, uh, uh, you know, of a team guy, worrying about keeping everyone safe and healthy, right? I think those are the things that I want to hear from Gruden. I don't want to hear about the injuries. We know there's injuries, but this is something that could have been avoided, and he's not really talking about it. All he's doing is kind of just just passing the buck. And, and you know, personally, I'd like to see Gruden uh, call Brown out a little bit more and hold him more accountable for his actions. All right, that is going to do it for our first segment here of Just Pop Baby, the recap episode, week seven recap. Uh, We're going to get to our first break, and when I return, uh, you'll hear my interview with Jesse Merrick. But before we do that, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey everyone, it's Evan Grote, host of Just Pod Baby. I think we can all agree 2020 has been a real kick to the balls. That's why I recommend you start pampering your pouch with Manscaped. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features though is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you aren't listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Welcome back to Just Pod Baby with your host, Evan Grote. 
All right, there's a couple other topics I'd like to cover with you uh, just before I bring in uh, my guest. The pass rush. Let's start there. It might have been the worst it's looked all season. Vic Taver asked Gruden about it after the game. He said he would not talk about it uh, at that moment. He was asked about it again today during his Monday afternoon presser. Here's what he had to say. Well, we're not going to get into that publicly, uh, Josh, but we're going to try to get the best four out there that we can, number one. Whether it involves more blitzing, we'll see. Um, who goes inside, who goes outside, who's on the left side, who's on the right side, what stunts we call, what blitzes we call. Uh, everything is on the table. We've been meeting since very early in the morning, and uh, we're going to play better on defense. I'm determined to, to make sure we prove that this week. So you heard what Gruden had to say there. It sounds like we could see a shakeup uh, in the next couple of weeks with, with the lineup, uh, maybe some more blitzing. He alluded to that. The Raiders are near the bottom in the league as far as blitzing percentage at 15%. As he said, though, it's all on the table. Uh, Mo actually texted me yesterday uh, about the possibility of, of maybe looking into a trade for a guy like Carlos Dunlop, who wants out of Cincinnati. He's very unhappy. He's putting it out there on social media. Some people believe it's just a matter of, of finding the right lineup to throw out there. And then there's other people who believe that the Raiders should go out and make a trade. Uh, they did bring in David Irving, uh, who was signed last week in free agency. Some, again, believe a, a trade is needed. Uh, I, I'm under the, I fall into the camp that I don't, I don't really believe that going out and getting a guy like Dunlop is the answer. I know he's 31 years old. He, he is familiar with, with Gunther and his system, but I don't think if giving up uh, draft picks for a guy who is on the back end of his career, are, are the Raiders really one pass rusher away from being a great team? I don't, I don't believe so. I think there's a lot of issues on this defense. They, they don't cover well. Um, I, I think they're they're more than Carlos Dunlop away from from really uh, taking a big step towards uh, you know where they need to be going on defense. I think this is a going to be a gradual fix. So that that's just my opinion on that. Um, also, those of you hoping for Paul Gunther to be fired today, it does not seem like that is an option at this point. As Gruden said, uh, they want to experiment with some different lineups. No doubt about it. Something needs to happen, uh, which kind of leads me to my next topic. Uh, and that's the defensive line. Uh, we talked about the pass rush, and, and I apologize if this this sounds like a, a rant here, or or maybe gets a little negative. But but I, but I've got to tell you, this is it's extremely disappointing to see the lack of development from the defensive line, and and how little of an impact new additions uh, Malik Collins and, and Carl Nassib have had on the defense. Rod Marinelli was brought in as this this guru who was going to bring the best out of this this defensive line group. You get rid of Coach Buckner, who I'm not saying he's the next Vince Lombardi, but but he had a, an undermanned group last year playing well. And for the record, I want to make this clear. I'm not one of those fans who's out there saying, I want Buckner back and, and this and that. I see a lot of people saying that. You know, I, Who knows? Maybe maybe they wouldn't be playing well under him. We, we don't really know. But but sometimes, if it ain't broke, it doesn't need fixing. And I think this is a, an example of that. The, the defense was showing some signs of progress last year under Buckner. Why do you go and break that up? I, I just don't think it needed to to happen. The defensive line play this year has been atrocious. There's no other way around it. They um, they don't get pressure uh, on the quarterback outside of a decent half against the Chiefs. Uh, they've only got seven sacks on the year. That's unacceptable. There there are players 
single players, individual players who have more sacks than the entire Raiders defense. That's that's embarrassing. The young guys are not developing at a rate you'd like to see. The Cleveland Farrell pick is looking worse and worse each week that goes by. And I'm a and I'm a guy that's defended the pick. I've defended Farrell, but it's it's becoming more difficult to do so. He was chosen fourth overall, and he is not performing like a fourth overall pick. Look at a guy like Devin White, who they passed up on. Look what he's doing. He has the looks of a future defensive player of the year. So that's that's frustrating. They went out and threw a bunch of money at Carl Nassib and, and Malik Collins. They have done nothing. Nothing. So I, I think some of that has to fall on Gruden's shoulders. He's the man who hired Marinelli. He's the guy who got rid of Buckner. He's the man who signs off on these drop draft picks of, of Cleland Farrell and Arden Key and guys like P.J. Hall, who was selected in the second round, who was traded or, or cut, I should say. So to this point, these are mistakes that are just continuing to set the defense back big time. So you hope that something clicks because something needs to happen and this defense needs to start playing well. As far as the development of these young guys, maybe they just missed. Maybe Arden Key was just a bad pick. Maybe Maurice Hurst is never really going to rise to that first round talent that people thought he had. Maybe maybe Cleveland Farrell will be a bust. Uh, so so we'll just have to wait and see. But the way things are trending right now are are, are not good uh, because if it continues down this road, Gruden and Mayak are going to have to continue to 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 spend more money on the position and, and use more draft capital to continue to address the position. Because again, seven sacks right now through six games, that is not going to get it done. That is not going to get it done whatsoever. Okay, uh, one final thought here that I have uh, is about um, Henry Ruggs. Okay, that's my next topic here. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I like to see Henry Ruggs get more involved. I mean, only three targets last last or yesterday. In fact, he's only had three targets in his, each in the last three games. Okay, through four games, he's been targeted 14 times for eight catches. You draft this kid over some very talented guys. And I'm not questioning the pick. I think he's I think he's super talented. He's dynamic. We've seen that. But can we get him more involved? Can we get him on a slant route? Maybe a quick screen. Get him the ball in space. Can I see him on a, a short crossing route? Or does it all have to be downfield? Does it all have to be the go route or the deep post? Is that the only way we're going to use him? You know, we we all know he has that that dynamic long speed, but you have to find a way for him to affect the game in other ways. Now, I know Gruden talked about in his presser today that they had some plays dialed up for Rugs, and he just is not beating man coverage right now. That falls on the player. Don't get me wrong. But if 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 he's not doing what he needs to do to get open, then then it's the coach's job to manufacture some touches for the guy. So that's what I want to see happen in the next couple of weeks. You don't draft a guy like Henry Ruggs uh, with the intent for him to be your number one wide receiver if you're not going to get him the ball. Okay, He was drafted to be the number one guy, but to me that is not the way he's being used. It just If you watch the games, that, that does not suggest that uh, 
he's a number one receiver on this team. Now, I, I went and looked up some of the other numbers from some of these other uh, wide receivers that were drafted this year. Jerry Judy has 37 targets. C.D. Lamb, 56 targets. Now, I know they throw the ball a lot over there in Dallas, but Lamb isn't even the number one guy. He's behind Amari Cooper, and he still has 56 targets. Chase Claypool, 25 targets. T. Higgins, 43 targets. LaVisca Chenault, 38 targets. And, and yes, Henry Ruggs did miss a couple games, so he's a little bit behind as far as, as that goes. You know, the, the, the total number of targets is going to be lower, but even from a an average standpoint, he is not getting the opportunities that these other guys are getting. And to me, it just doesn't make sense. When you have someone as dynamic as him, you need to give him the ball six to eight times at least. At least six to eight times. Whether it's, uh, you know, six or seven times through the pass. I want to see some more jet sweeps. I, I want to I see bubble screens. I, I want to see Gruden get creative with how he, he, he uses rugs and, and, again, manufactures some touches for this guy. All right, those are some of my thoughts on the Week 7 loss to the Buccaneers. And now we are moving on to Cleveland. We're going to put this one to bed and uh, start focusing on what lies ahead with the Cleveland Browns in Week 8. But before we do that, we're going to bring in our guest, Jesse Merrick. All right, we are going out to the phone lines now to welcome in our guest tonight. uh, And that is Jesse Merrick, who covers the Raiders for KSNV News 3 in Las Vegas. Thanks for the time tonight, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on, Evan. Always, always glad to hop on with you guys. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, again, thanks for thanks for giving us the time. Now, yesterday the Raiders took a, a, a tough loss. Yesterday they were uh, in the game through three quarters, but really just collapsed in the fourth quarter. Uh, even though they took the loss, I don't know how you feel about this. Are you a believer in moral victories? Yes and no. I, I think you can take a little bit of it from this one and the fact that, what, with like 11 minutes to go, you know, they had a third and 13 and were within four points. I mean, that's pretty dang good against the Bucks team that some people are calling the Super Bowl favorites. So in that sense, I guess you can take that away from it, especially given the fact of the injuries and the COVID issues and all that stuff. Yeah, you, you brought up the COVID issues. We know it was a strange week of preparation for the Raiders with all the distractions that – came with the, the Trent Brown uh, positive COVID test and then the other offensive linemen being placed on the, the COVID list and not being able to practice. Obviously not having Jonathan Abrams also hurt, but how much of a factor do you think that actually played in the outcome of the game on Sunday? Yeah, that's another one's kind of hard to say just simply because of how dominant the Bucks defense has been, especially against the run, but you got to imagine that it, that it had a big impact on it, just given the fact that Jacobs rushes 10 times for 17 yards. I mean, yes, they were without uh, Trent Brown and obviously no Richie Incognito, but the offensive line is the strength of this team. And even with those guys out, they've played well throughout the year. So you got to imagine with that kind of time off and not being able to actually get on the field, go through those reps and do that, that there were some issues. Colton Miller even said after the game that they had communication issues as well. When you're shuffling guys in, that stuff's going to happen. So I think that time on the field would have been huge. So you got to imagine that that played a, at least somewhat of a role in it. Jesse Merrick is our guest tonight. He covers the team for News 3 out in Las Vegas. 
uh, you know, a lot of people were hoping for Twitter, Twitter fans anyways, were hoping for a change at defensive coordinator. If you heard what Gruden had to say today, it doesn't sound like that is going to happen. Gruden did hint at the idea of, of shaking things up a bit with the personnel, especially along the defensive line. In your opinion, is it a is it an issue with talent with the defense or, or do you think Gunther and, and his scheme do deserve some of that criticism that he's that he's getting? I think I think it's a little bit more of the scheme. I mean, obviously the players haven't you know done what they should have done. They haven't produced the way that they should be. But the simple fact that you know for how long we've been saying that the Raiders can't generate pressure, even dating back to next last year, um, you got to do something. And the talk that Gruden was saying this, this today was really mentioning that you know maybe we're going to start blitzing and mixing up those coverages and doing stuff like that. And for me, why not start blitzing more? Because what you're doing now obviously isn't working. And, again, Gruden always talks about not being able to get home with that four-man rush. So my feeling with it is maybe it's a little bit of just kind of being stubborn and sticking to, hey, this is what I know. This is what I'm going to do. It's going to work. It's going to work. It kind of seems like they're maybe coming around the idea of, like, okay, this is the personnel we have. We have to figure out a way to put them in the best position to succeed. So I would say it's more so on the coaching side that it is personnel. But also you got to realize this is a young team, a young defense with a lot of new pieces. And I don't want to be here, the guy that here that's like making all the excuses for him, but they didn't have the offseason, and I know everybody didn't have that. But the condensed offseason, coming into a new system, all that stuff, you know, it's just kind of the perfect storm, and that's kind of what it seems like it's been thus far. Now, some people are are out there, you know, wanting the the Raiders to to make a trade. I know Carlos Dunlop was a guy who was uh, publicly – talking about how he's unhappy with Cincinnati. Many people feel that's a natural fit with his uh, familiarity with, with uh, Paul Gunther's defense. But do you do you think that's something the Raiders should explore? Is I, I know they just brought in David Irving last week, but do you think they have the guys they need in, in the building, or should they explore opportunities maybe making a, another move at the deadline? Yeah, I personally, I'm not a fan of, of making a move right now with the team the way they con- currently are constructed. I think maybe work with what you've got. Because at the end of the day, what are you going to have to give up for a guy like him? And and do you really want, especially with the way that Gruden and Mayock have drafted, for the most part, do you want to give away any more assets? That's something I wouldn't want to exchange, even if it is for a guy like Dunlap, who, I mean, I looked at his stats the other day, and he's obviously a good defensive end and a, and a good D-lineman, but I I don't know that he is the answer. You know, I think Stick with the guys. Try the new stuff that Gruden is talking about and, and see what happens. And, look, I mean, we all know that they're not going to, you know, be this world-beater defense with these changes. But I also don't think bringing in one guy, I don't think they're one guy away from that. So I think you got to work with what you've got and give a shot of maybe mixing things up and doing stuff like that. I mean, we saw what they did against Kansas City. They still gave up plenty of points and plenty of yards, but they figured out something that worked. And, again, with the offense that they've got, if they can get things going and do it more consistently, teams have shown that they can win with a bad defense. Look at the Seahawks. They're kind of example number one. Obviously, the Raiders don't have an offense like the Seahawks do, but you can do it in a serviceable defense, and I think that they've got the personnel in order to get to that at least. Well, let's stay on that topic of the offense. I do have a couple questions for you that I want to ask you about the offense. The first one is about Josh Jacobs in the run game. I mean, you, you did talk about the offensive line yesterday, but but Jacobs really has has gotten off to a slow start this year. He was supposed to be the centerpiece of this offense. He's really struggled through the first six games. He's yet to run for 100 yards. He's averaging only 3.4 yards per carry. How important is it that they get him going? Oh, it's massive. I, I think, you know... 
Gruden talked in the offseason about Malik Collins being, you know, the key cog in this defense, and obviously he has it well, so look what happened. Then you look at the offense. Jacobs has to be that guy. That's Gruden's identity. He wants to jam that ball down his throat, and he hasn't been able to do that on a consistent basis, and so that changes the way that his play calling goes. And I think there's a times, and he'll even admit that maybe he left the run game a little too quickly, but, man, not getting Jacobs going on a consistent basis the way that we've seen from him before has really hurt, and it, it forces them into situations that they don't want to be in. Um, and and they got to have to kind of manufacture touches for other guys, and that's where the offense gets kind of screwy and you lack that consistency. They want to do the approach that may be a bit boring to watch on TV at times, but they want to grind that clock out, keep the other team on the sideline, and then start running off of that play action and see what they can get going with other guys like Ruggs and Waller and you know even Nelson Aguilar who's burst onto the scene. Yeah, another another guy I want to touch on, Henry Ruggs. You're you're leading me right into all my questions perfectly there, Jesse. Uh, I'd like to see him get going, uh, or more involved, I should say. Only eight catches right now uh, on 14 targets. Gruden was asked about it today. They used an early first-round pick on this guy, and, and they took him over a lot of other talented wide receivers who are uh, having a much larger role on their teams. He's a dynamic talent. Do, do you expect to see him more involved in the game plan going forward? I do, yeah. Like you noted, Gruden talked about it today. And, and the thing that stuck out the most to me when he was talking about Ruggs was saying that, you know, he's got to beat man-on-man coverage. And uh, clearly he hasn't shown the ability to do that with consistency. And, and Gruden's not the type of guy that will just say that about a player. He seems to be a guy, and I'm still fairly new in covering him, but he seems to be a guy that's going to have his players back on a consistent basis. And he'll say something when he wants to challenge them. And so he's challenging Ruggs to be able to get off of man-to-man coverage. And at the end of the day, this is the NFL. If you're covered, you have to find a way to get open. That's just how it is. You're going to get the best in the world. So I think they are going to manufacture ways to get him the ball, get him the ball in space. Because think about the games where they've done that, and this offense has been a game changer, and people have talked about you know, how much of an added dynamic he brings to this offense. So I think he, much like Josh Jacobs, much like Waller, are a massive cog in this offense it kind of gets everybody going and especially rugs with the speed that he has if you get him the ball and he makes defenses pay that's going to open things up for everybody else in the offense and again that's where you start to see you know what we saw against the chiefs where they were just kind of going uh going at it just you know throwing left and right you know getting really uh aggressive in their offensive approach and i think rugs is one of those guys that allows them to do that if they do get him the ball early and often you almost kind of maybe got to treat him like a running back in that sense now, now, quickly, I just want to uh, look ahead to the next few games. Now, things should get a bit more favorable from a schedule standpoint. They do still have games remaining with uh, two of the Chargers, two of the Broncos. They're going to see the Jets, the Dolphins, the Falcons. Certainly, what appear to be some winnable games. It is a week-to-week league, so you can't you can't just uh, you know assume any any game is a win. But do you think this team is capable of overcoming some of their their shortcomings that we've seen here in the first six games and and still find a way to, to, to get into the playoffs? I really do think they are. I mean, again, look at the schedule. Look at the offenses that, that, that they've played so far. And obviously, it's been horrendous on defense. I believe it's 190 points that they've allowed, which if that's correct, that's the second most in franchise history through six games. And then again, now you look at the offenses that are coming up. Obviously, Justin Herbert's been real interesting with the Chargers and the way that he's chucking the ball down the field. Cleveland the way that they run the ball, but Denver's not necessarily scary. Atlanta's not scary. New York's not scary. Indy isn't exactly scary. Miami to be determined to see what they're going to do once they get Tua in there. So 
you may not see as many crooked numbers on there if they figure things out on defense and can get to the quarterback and support their secondary. So I, I think this is something where they can get something rolling. I mean, they kind of have to, and you don't want to place too much on one game, but I think this game against Cleveland is going to be really interesting. And if we're being honest, talking about the Raiders being in playoff contention and things like that, you have to beat those teams that are kind of in your same grouping, and Cleveland is one of them. So this is a really big game coming up this week. Jesse Merrick, everyone. You can follow Jesse on Twitter at JesseNewsLV3. Uh, great job tonight. Thanks for the time, Jesse, and, and we'll hope to get you back on again sometime down the road. Of course, man. Appreciate it. All right, we're back on Just Pop Baby. For some quick thoughts just to wrap this one up, again, I apologize for the uh, technical difficulties not getting uh, Mo on the line with me today. Uh, we'll get that fixed up so that he can uh, he can be with us next week. And again, I want to thank Jesse Merrick for joining me as my special guest tonight. And real quick before we uh, before we say goodnight tonight, uh, I do want to just quickly, real quick, look ahead to Week Eight against the Browns. Uh, I'm actually looking into t- tickets for it right now. They're, they are. The Browns are one of the teams that are allowed to have fans in the stadium. It's a three-hour drive from me, from where I'm at. Uh, So I am looking into tickets. Uh, Quite expensive right now. A little out of my price range for where I'm looking to sit. I'm going to keep an eye on them, and hopefully they they drop. Uh, If anybody else out there is looking to go to the game, hit me up on Twitter, egroat5. Uh, maybe we can we can get a beer or something or or yeah just let me know. Um, but uh, real quick, I, I know the Raiders are, are are through the real difficult portion of the schedule. Schedule um, things should start to really ease up. But don't overlook the Browns. They're they're a tough team. They should not be overlooked. Uh, they've had you know some times where they looked really good. Uh, and also sometimes where they've looked really bad. Um, they did lose to the Steelers and the Ravens, who are two of the better teams in the league right now. So this this team is 5-2, and two and they're, they're tough. Uh, Baker Mayfield had himself a really nice game yesterday, throwing five touchdown passes. They did lose Odell Beckham for the season with a torn ACL. I still think they have enough weapons with Jarvis Landry, and they've got some very good tight ends, and Njoku, and uh, Austin Hooper, and... Um, Kareem Hunt as a running back. So they've got some guys here that can still hurt you. And, and of course, they have that monster on defense, uh, Miles Garrett. Uh, so, um, you know, the Raiders will be traveling east uh, this week. That always, some, you know, always, but it does pose a problem uh, time to time. So uh, that's something you want to keep an eye on. I think when you look at the Browns offensively, they want to try to establish the run. They do average 157 yards a game. I believe that's third in the league right now. Uh, they want to put uh, Baker Mayfield in, in good situations on third down. So they want to have uh, establish a run early. He has shown the tendency to, to struggle a bit against the blitz. And, and with Odell Beckham, they may want to uh, lean even more on the run game. And then defensively, when you look at them, they've given up a lot of yards through the air, uh, so it could be another big game for Derek Carr. Uh, The last time these two teams played, if you remember, it was a shootout. I think it was 45-42 was the final, something along those lines. Uh, We could see that again. Both of these teams are higher-scoring teams, and I believe 28 points a game for each of those teams. So maybe, uh, again, this is a game where Derek Carr could uh, have a big one, and hopefully we see Henry Ruggs uh, get more involved and have himself a real big day. So those are just my my quick initial thoughts on the upcoming game this week. You will get my uh, preview episode uh, 
dropping Friday morning as always. So make sure you're tuning in and, and looking out for that episode. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. I always appreciate the support. Thank you very much. I hope everyone has a great week. You'll talk to me in a few days. And as always, just win, baby.